From earaches to strep tests, there's Miniclinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Miniclinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See Miniclinic.com for details. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com, as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had, which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at. I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show. And I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing tonight? Because it's nighttime here. And because, you know, I'm in Florida, so, yeah, we're... And even though it's summertime, uh, you know, of course, by 8, it's still daytime, but it's getting dark. The creepy time, twilight. And, you know, I, I, I've spoken before about, despite what everybody thinks about midnight or 3 a.m. being the spookiest or the creepiest or the time you see the most paranormal phenomena, not really, not really. But anyway, today I have a super, super special guest. I have a gentleman by the name of Dave Spinks, and I'm sure you've heard of him, you've probably even seen him or heard him on other shows. First of all, Dave is a paranormal investigator after my own heart because he's been doing it for just as long as I have. He has been doing it since 1986, researching and investigating the paranormal, that is. Various aspects due to several experiences he had as a young man. Now, he's a, he retired from a 20-year career in the U.S. military and federal law enforcement in 2011, and since then he has investigated on a full-time basis. Uh, and he's conducted several hundred investigations, of course, in researching the supernatural. Um, so in other words, he not only does he investigate it as a researcher, uh, he also has written books. He also investigates reports of strange creatures, cryptids, as well as UFO encounters. And you guys have know that when I talk about the paranormal, it's not specifically just about ghosts or hauntings. All of that falls into that as far as I'm concerned. Now, uh, recently Dave purchased the, an infamous haunted house known as the Willow's Weep. And this is an order to further study of the phenomena related to hauntings. Um, and he also has been featured on numerous syndicated radio shows 
and as a guest at paranormal conferences as well as a guest speaker on uh, just about anything that having to do with the supernatural. So before I go any further, let me get him on. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm just fine. How are you? Thank Fantastic. you for having me. Oh, absolutely. It is my pleasure. Um, so, Dave, I am going to ask you what I ask all my guests. And I, obviously, like I said, you're very much into the paranormal. And, and I know it, there's mention there that you had experience as a young man. But when was it that you had your first encounter with the paranormal? Was it as a child or after you grew up a little bit more? Well, I grew up, you know, really, I guess. I'd have to obviously say the, the time me and my grandfather saw a Bigfoot on a fishing trip and um, here in West Virginia. Yeah, that's, that's what really got me started. I, I talked about that, you know, in, um, on uh, Destination America on the show Terror in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, I, wrote, I actually wrote a piece in David Weatherly's Woodknock series about it. And one thing led to another, and next thing you know, I was on a on the TV show talking about it. And uh, I also just completed my first Bigfoot book, uh, primarily on West Virginia Bigfoot, okay. all right. and all that stuff is in there. You know, it's uh, basically we were fishing, you know, in the summertime, and I would always come back and stay with my grandparents, both sets, and my dad, because my mom and dad were divorced when I was really young, okay. and. In the summer, I would always spend time with each of my grandpas and my dad, and me and my grandpa took off on a weekend fishing trip to our favorite spot, and long story short, something started throwing these huge boulders at us from across the other side of the river, and the first one we didn't see, we just heard a humongous splash, and we jumped up, we were startled, you know, it was right before dark, about this time of night, matter of fact, you mm-hmm. know, and we're look, we looked around, we couldn't see anything, we just heard the splash didn't see anything floating in the river and we chalked it up as well maybe a big branch fell out of a tree right. hit the water something rolled off because the, the other side of the river it was pretty much a uh, 45 degrees straight uphill it's this area where no other people would i mean it was too rugged for people to go on that side of the river because if you've ever been to west virginia um you know it's a m- really mountainous state yes. really steep mountain especially where we were in this particular location so we figured, well, we just chalked it up, and we went back and sitting down to it next to our fire, relaxing, and then uh, another rock came, and I saw that one come up through the trees because I heard it hitting the branches, and it was huge. I mean, it was, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, a, I couldn't get my arms around it as a grown man. It was that big of a rock. And, it, and the river was probably 75 yards across at that particular area. And it landed almost out in the middle of the river, and it made another huge splash. Uh, of course, by then, my grandpa's running for the tent, and I know when he's going to get the shotgun. Okay. You know, um, we didn't see what threw the rock at this time, but he uh, grabbed the shotgun, and in his mind, he's thinking there's some people over there messing with us. Right, yeah. He's No, he's not thinking Bigfoot. He's thinking right. human people, like, oh, okay. And I'm just sitting there, you know, I'm 13 years old. I'm a little kid, basically, and my eyes are as big as saucers, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, what's going on? Because I look at my grandpa, and when I, he had that look on his face, you know, he was not scared of anything. He was a Baptist minister for 40 years. So um, 
he also stormed the beaches at Normandy in World War II. So, not, you know, nothing scared this man. Yeah. So he yelled out across the river, you heathens knock it off or I'm going <laughs> to shoot. You know, and then this blood-curdling roar, just like you've never heard this. Oh, wow. And, I mean, every time I think of it right now, I'm getting the cold chills because it scared the living hell out of me. And so he racks off a shot. You know, in that direction, we don't see what's making this noise. Uh-huh. And then I don't know if he hit it or what. It let out another freaking crazy scream, and he yells at me, "Get to the truck, boy!" And he's still hollering, and he lets off five or six more shots. You know, and then I'm cowering down beside the the bumper of the truck, peeking around, and that's when I see the thing. And I saw it from, like the waist up, and it was smacking trees, screaming. And these trees are probably 40, 50, 60 foot tall trees, and the tops of them are shaking as he hits them. And this thing, it was massive, and I was scared to death. So he, I guess around that time is when he saw it too, and it's roaring and just making a crazy racket going up out of there, you know, and it was going away from us. He might have hit it, I don't know. Okay. But he comes running towards me, grabs me with one arm and throws me in the truck. And he said, we're getting out of here, son. That's not of God. And we peel out of there. And the, I think the truck's going to fall apart because it's an old dirt road. with <laughs> And he's done. And the truck's bottoming out. He sounds like pieces are falling off. And I'm just sitting there with my hands in my, you know, covering my face thinking I'm going to die. This <laughs> thing's going to, the truck's going to break down and it's going to come back and get us, you know. So we get out of there, he drives around for a little bit, and he pulls off the side of the road, and he says, you know, son, we better not tell anyone this because they're going to think we're crazy. I bet. Um, he goes, I, you know, he said, we, we can't tell anyone this, and I, we made a promise to each other to never talk about it. Well, two years ago now, he died, and mm -hmm. I said, I got to tell this story because, I've, you know, I've been researching the, this stuff ever since, and... um. I, I went to tell my uncle about it because I wanted to give him a heads up before they seen me on TV talking about it, you know. All right. Um, when I told my uncle, he saw, he said, oh, you're you're talking about that monkey man you and Papa saw on the woods. And I said, what? He told oh. <laughs> so here you're thinking, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. And he... Yeah, yeah. And here my grandpa, he, you know, my uncle says, uh, well, yeah, he came to me like 20 years ago, and he said, you know, my uncle's name's Stanton, and he said, Stanton, i got to get this off my chest in case something ever happens. And he told him the whole story. Me and Dave saw this, you know, this creature down on the Gauley River when we were fishing. So that's when I really started, you know, I wanted more answers as I got older. But something else happened to me when I was 16. Okay. And... Before I really started researching and stuff, I was always looking, you know, I would see newspaper articles because back then we didn't have the Internet, you know, and I would mm -hmm. read different stories at the, at the school library of people who had seen strange things. And I was my interest was really peaked, but it still scared the living hell out of me because I, I didn't go in the woods for several years after that. I you know? bet. And so my my other grandpa, <laughs> which is this is really weird, too. Both my grandpas started me off in the paranormal, but um my other grandpa was also a World War II veteran, and he smoked like a freight train, you know, smoked the old Camel non-filter cigarette. Oh, yeah. He had a quarter of one lung left, you know, and he had a, he had a trach tube, and he had to pull around an oxygen tank everywhere he went. Oh. So we knew 
you know, it, he wasn't going to be with us that much longer. You know, he was always, you know, having problems and whatnot. And then they found out he had cancer. But anyway, I was at my dad's house, which is 30 miles away from his house. And I wo- I was sleeping. It was the middle of the night. And I something woke me up in the middle of the night. And I sat straight up in the bed. And there's my mom's dad standing at the foot of the bed looking at me. Clear as day. Solid like me and you. And I'm like, what do you do? I kind of did that double take. And like, uh-huh. Am I seeing I said, what are you doing here, Papa? Because there was no reason that in the middle of the night he wouldn't have gone to my dad's house anyway. You know what I mean? Right regardless in the middle of the night and he just kind of he kind of smiled at me and then disappeared right in front of my face wow so i was like i was like wow that was a weird dream so i went back to sleep you know uh-huh. but it i woke up the next day and it was bothering me still and i was like i'm gonna call up there and check on him and i called up there to grandma and grandpa Kyle and my uncle from out of state answered and i said what are you doing there he said, no one called you yet, Dave? I said, no, what are you talking about? He said, Grandpa died last night. Everybody's coming in. And wow. I, I kind of just dropped the phone. I was like, wow, that, that's crazy. And I was I was like, I can't tell anybody about that dream. So I waited like six months, and I couldn't hold it in anymore. We were eating dinner at Grandma's house. A bunch of the family was there. And I came out and told everybody about that dream the night he died. And several of my family's faces went funny, and they all had the same exact thing happen to them. And I knew right then and there that he had come to say goodbye to us. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, you know, and after that, those two experiences, I said, man, there's there's this stuff out there we don't understand. I want to know. And I started just diving in headlong to it. Anything I could find, anything I could read. And I started watching that show in search of with Leonard Nimoy, you know, and I saw a guy named Hans Holzer on there. Right. So I was like, hey, I got a recorder just like that. I had that old big tape deck, you know, that cassette deck with the mm-hmm. with the plug in mic. And whenever we would go to family vacations and stuff, different locations, I would take that recorder and I actually started capturing EVPs, Native American monuments, you know, ruins. And I was hooked. You know, I was hooked and over the years, you know, being in the military and then, then federal law enforcement, somebody would, um, people knew people that were having strange things happen in their house. And they say, Hey, I know this guy that, that, you know, investigates that stuff. And then that's how it all started, you know, exactly. the ball got and so on and so forth. And now I've just, you know, when I retired and I didn't talk about what I did when I, cause I was still you know, active duty, uh, military and law enforcement, they would have mm-hmm. sent me to, you know, so I never went public. And then when I retired, I said, I'm going to go public with what I got, you know, and okay. what I do. That's how it all came about. Right. And, and I understand perfectly what you mean that, uh, and, and, you know, people don't realize, you know, depending, I guess, on your age that, you know, because of all those shows that they have nowadays, 20 years or 25 years back, you had maybe unsolved mysteries. It, it, it's not like it is now, and you don't have all the equipment. You know, you had no digital camera. You know, things like that. You maybe had a recorder, and if you used your camera, you had to spend money in developing the film, hoping you capture something. It was a lot more basic, which sometimes like, kind of like, that was not a bad thing. You you did what you could with what you had. Um, but yeah, and I, I remember Hans Holzer. He was uh, he was like one of the first ones that actually wrote about his experiences. But even so, even when he wrote those books, he was almost in a way 
kind of a skeptic, even though he was bringing all these psychics. But yeah, he was one of the first ones yeah. that I read books about paranormal investigations, not just the ghost story, in other words, because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, he's, you know, he was the one that actually went in there to try to communicate or identify and, and everything. So once let's, let's say in that crisis apparition or what, what that you spoke about with your grandfather, um, after that, what happened? Did you ever have other experiences outside of an actual investigation or was it just when you started catch, capturing EVPs that you kind of start thinking, okay, it's you could go to certain places and you're going to be able to capture some type of evidence, even yeah. if well, the only like I didn't have any um, personal experiences at home until many years later after I had conducted some crazy amount of investigations, and I think I've you know, pulled home some, uh, followers with me oh, here yeah. and there. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, that. Of course I had many experiences that were you know, phenomenal over my years of investigating, but mm-hmm. my, you know, having anything like happened to me with my grandfather, no, you know, nothing with my family. My mom died when I was 22, okay. you know, and, you know, and I never, ever tried to communicate with her or anything. Because we just really don't know exactly what we're communicating with at oh, this point. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I, know, I, I know, you know, it's my personal uh, of my personal opinion that some of these negative entities, whatever they are, will try to impersonate your loved ones oh. to gain your trust. Yeah. And I've had a few of them try to do that over the years, and I would ask very personal questions that only me and my mom would know, mm-hmm. and. They couldn't answer them, but they would say a lot of stuff that was a roundabout that was very close, but not close enough. Not quite. And then I knew right then to cut off that communication and stop it. So, you know, you got to be really careful. I often talk about the dangers of this because it can be dangerous. Yes. Um, after one particular investigation I did up in uh, Pennsylvania, I actually lived in this notorious haunted house that the Warrens were associated with. And uh definitely pulled something home with me there um i had like the worst year of my life went through a really bad a lot of a lot of personal issues that were out of the norm for me um Uh happened after that particular investigation because i spent a month in that house and went back three more times um i also right after that noticed a a lump on my leg i can't say this is paranormal but the coincidence really crazy i had a lump of come up on my leg and it got bigger and bigger and went to the, cause I go to the VA since I'm a veteran and I saw one doc and he said, Oh, just keep an eye on it. And I'm like, doc, it's getting bigger, you know, and it's mm-hmm. getting bigger fast. Well, I, well, long story short, I moved, got a new VA doctor and they said they did a couple of x-rays and cat scans and MRIs. I said, man, that's coming out of there. It's huge inside your leg. dude." Wow. Turns out it had cancer inside of it. So I can't say that's paranormal, but you know, that's really weird yes. in nature. Okay. And then I had all this other stuff. I went almost financially ruined during that time, that whole year. I had some crazy stuff happen, uh, crazy dreams where these shadow figures were reaching at me at night, every night for like a, a 15, 20 days. Mm-hmm. And they would get close every night. And then finally, one night in the dream, um, one of them grabbed my arm and I woke up and I had a tear in my shirt and a scratch on my arm. So yeah. when I when all that stuff together... 
you kind of sit back and say, hey, you know, there's no such thing as that much coincidence. There was something very negative. And this house was notoriously negative. Every family that ever moved into that house would move out very soon after. Mm-hmm. They all turned had uh were never had any kind of, you know, uh, alcohol problems. Right. Or drugs. And a lot of them, almost every couple that moved in there got a divorce. One or one or both turned into alcoholics or drug addicts. Wow. And flew with different families were in and out of there. We, we researched the records. It was over and over and over again in this house. Right. And, 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 and I imagine that's, you know, usually... You know what they what they record is uh, you know sales if, if it was ever rented there's sometimes no way to find out that you've got a revolving door of renters you know unless you know some you know a neighbor that will tell you yeah people rent that place and they move right out like uh, within a couple of months yeah. Uh, yeah and 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 I know exactly what you mean and it's and it's it's really funny Dave because as a matter of fact my last show at the end I was you know I was talking you know I was to my audience and I was telling them if you're if you've been a paranormal researcher for any length of time, there will come a time where you take, I call it, you take a sabbatical, okay, where something starts to intrude where you say, I need to cut off a little bit from this because it'll bleed over. And I'm going to give you a- In a rapidly changing world, people wonder more and more about where their food comes from and how it was grown. The farmers who grow America's corn understand how important this is and want to share the stories from our farms of how we are working to grow an incredible crop that can be an answer to sustainability questions and is grown by men and women who value the air, water, soil, and our natural resources just like you. To find out more about how corn farmers are working to feed and fuel a vibrant economy and healthy planet, visit ncga.com. NCGA, a commitment to the future. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks perfect example even though i've been doing paranormal research since the 90s myself even though i had a lot of interest in it before and i was unofficially doing it but besides from that i'm a trained hypnotherapist and at one time i had like a a a, a, you know a separate garage on my property and i had converted that into an office and part of because i i did into alternative hypnotherapy and one of the areas that people sometimes would come to me would be for attachments, spiritual attachments that, mm-hmm. you know, you address it through hypnotherapy. That's a very, and not all the time, because sometimes it's just a spiritual attachment of a regular dead person, you know, like a human entity, in other words, a discarnate. But a couple of times I had run-ins with something that I call non-human because I'm not really into using the D word. I think it's overused. Plus there's a lot of uh, non-human entities out there that don't really fall into the category just of demons. There's elementals, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, kind of a couple of times I ran into stuff like that. Luckily it wasn't really um, highly intelligent, but I kind of was getting the effect of that. And I said, you know what? I got to stop seeing people that come here for this on my property. Even though it was a detached garage from my main house, and it speaks very similar to what you're describing, I didn't have uh, 
Well, yeah, I had a couple of things that turned out to be health scares, but like you said, certain things that you kind of feel unease and and it and it was and finally, you know, when you go back to the point of origin, what you're talking about it is exactly that. And after that, you know, I I uh, I stopped bringing people over to that office to to do hyp- hypnosis with them because it was just too close to my home. It, in other words, it's a lot of people think you know that once you do some of these investigations and you're talking an intelligent, malevolent entity, that once you leave that location, sometimes it stays, but other times it doesn't. Especially uh, if they, you have some type of vulnerability, and uh, I tell everybody, you know, even when you're a paranormal researcher, if you again, if you go into a location that's got an intelligent haunting and it's malevolent, darker, not your regular confused person, uh, they usually, especially in a team, if they want you out, they're gonna go and target your weakest link or the weakest member of your team, whether it's weak physically temporarily you're exhausted you're tired you're overwrought you got something going on emotionally in your house you know or in your life and you need it they they target you and i think a lot of times people in all this eagerness to do paranormal research they overlook that especially when they're part of a team because it can lead to something along the lines of what you just described happened to you oh absolutely i agree 100 percent. you know there's a lot of a lot of things that can happen to you, and I agree, you know, having something like that close to your home. You know, I, I see these people, and they're constantly doing ghost boxes and, and whatnot out out in their in their houses, you know. And one particular incident I can think of, and I, I actually had worked with this couple uh, one time, mm-hmm. uh, is Mark and Debbie Constantino. Absolutely, I know all, that is. Yeah, we all know what happened in that story. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have to have a safe space. You can't bring this stuff into your house. And it's it's very dangerous, you know, to do that, yes. in my personal opinion. I'm not saying I know more than everybody else. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm the end-all, say-all. But I know after having many years of experience, I've seen numerous paranormal investigators that were friends of mine that got really deep into this. They were doing it nonstop. Yes. And they, I, I know people to this day that ride around in the car with a ghost box running. I mean, they're nonstop. And they're they crazy. Wonder <laughs> they're crazy. And, um, you know, crazy stuff go on at their house and in their dreams and everything else. You know, you have to separate yourself at some point. Um, prime example for me, I was going, me and me and my partner, David Weatherly, who, uh, I work with a lot now, um, three years in a row, we really hit it hard. I mean, we were doing an average 35 to 40 investigations a year. Okay. That's and a lot. Um, we, we kind of took a break last summer and I, my last investigation was, uh, last October at my house, Willow's Weep, cause I'm still doing preliminary stuff myself there, but I hadn't investigated up until last week since last October. I took a break. I did a mm-hmm. lot of writing, you know, right. and, really lifted uh i feel great it my energy's replenished if that makes sense yes absolutely uh, no i feel uh, much better and you know that last year i mean i was physically and mentally drained and not to yes. mention i had to go surgeries and everything yep so you know i said look i'm gonna take a step back i'm gonna get some of the vast amount of stuff and knowledge i have on paper get it out there in some books mm-hmm. and stuff that I've been 
something to do for a while. And, you know, sometimes you got to do that. You know? Oh, yeah. It's not, a, it's not a competition. It's not a race to see who can do the most. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are trying to do that. Which, you know, at some point, it's going to take a toll on you mentally, physically, and spiritually. It's going to take a toll on you. I'm telling you here right now. Well, it will. You know what it is it also, Dave? A lot of people, you know, how everybody tells you, okay, you know, I, you know, depending on your beliefs, you know, prayers or smudging or saging or, you know, people, they do all these things. Let's say they're going into an investigation. They do all these things for protection. And I, You know, I, if your aura is thinned out because you're under emotional and or physical stress, for whatever reason, it could even be that you're coming down with a flu. How's that? Okay. Or you're yeah. overextending yourself and you're just really tired or your job has gotten crazy or maybe you got stuff going on at home. Situational. It happens to everybody. All these things. And, and, and of course, if you've got something more serious going on, of course, your aura thins out. And my point being, I don't care how much you, you sage and pray. If your aura is thinned out, you are yep. going to be more vulnerable to an attack if that's what you encounter. You know, you know, you, and you know as well as, as I do if you've been. Sometimes you go to locations either one, A, they're not haunted, or two, maybe what's there is residual or very low grade, maybe a, somebody that's kind of confused, you know, but not that no malevolence or um, wanting to uh, basically like a hitchhiker or anything like that, you know, and you just never know until you get there what you're going to encounter. And if, and if it's really dark and you've got that chink in the armor, like I said before, I don't care how much protecting you think you did, you're still very vulnerable. So I, I, I understand what you mean that you took time off. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I had to get my, my my physical health back. You know, I went through those. I had to do two major surgeries on my leg. You know, I had to do take the thing out of me, and then they had to reconstruct my muscles and wow. move stuff around. Luckily, you know, it wasn't in the bone. It wasn't spread anywhere. That so, was That was pretty major then. That was, wow. Yeah, it did. After I had the first surgery, I was... Like two days later, I was at a conference speaking, and then I had to go have another surgery, you know. So, I mean, I, you know, everyone's like, dude, you got to take a break, and I did. Yeah. So, you know, it helped. Yeah. It helped. Yeah. And, and I'm going to say something, and I know a lot of people are out there going, hmm. And I say, look, at the end of the day, as much as, let's face it, paranormal research, at least in this field, is your, it's about dead people, the dead. And you're alive. Yeah. And what happens is if you start getting like you were, would you describe that you know people that are, are riding around, you know, like trying to capture, basically you start keeping too much company with the dead and pretty soon they want you to be, come stay with them. You know, like, hey, come on over to this side. People don't realize that. That's how it works. That's why you got to have these boundaries as much and as And they you... have no concept of time. They have no oh, concept. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, none whatsoever, but it's almost like, um, <laughs> hey, you know, it's really hard to talk to you on that side. If you come over here, let's see if we can bring you over here to be with us mm -hmm. so that yeah. we can keep company. And that's what people don't realize, that that's why it's really important when you do this type of work. Uh, and one of the things that you said, Dave, you know, as far as nowadays, you know, everybody wants to capture evidence. And I understand all of that because at the end of the day, really, that's that's what people want is proof. But like what you described when you had that experience with your grandfather, 
you didn't have equipment or camera, but there's something that when you experience that firsthand that you know it. I mean, you, it's not that you can prove it or want to prove it or need to prove it. The only one you proved it to is yourself. How's that? Yep. That everything changes for you. In other words, as far as when you do this, when you're into paranormal work and stuff like that, it's like, even if I never capture the great photograph or that evidence that nobody can say, uh, it's like, you know it. There's, there's something, a paradigm shift inside of you that changes you from then on. And, and there's people out there that go into doing this, the ghost hunting stuff. And then when they have their first real encounter, they can't handle it. They, they book it. They just like, what do you mean this thing is really real? It's like, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you see many rookie investigators coming in. Don't they're very highly skeptical. I was skeptical to some point too with my law enforcement background, but mm-hmm. I knew what I as a young man. I knew there was something to it. But there's a lot of people out there that have never had an experience, and they want to go out and see for themselves. And when they do see something that's shit, most times, not every time, but most times they're they're out of there, man. Their their mind is blown. Yeah. And they're like, "What the frick was that? I'm done, man. Get yeah. me out of here." Yeah, yeah, it is, it is. And uh, and then others that do the investigation, it's really boring and nothing happens, and they're like, this is it? And oh, like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> oh, yeah, they think, you know, they think they're going to go and do it like they see on TV, and they're going to be there an hour, and all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff's going to happen. What they don't realize is those people are there for over a week, you know. Yes, and exactly. TV, remember that, you know, I always talk about this. TV is entertainment, folks. What you see is not necessarily real. They mm-hmm. might capture some legit evidence here and there, but... You know they're under they're under constraints that they gotta keep oh, their sure. ratings up. You gotta remember that. So what they capture on TV, it could be fake, it could be real. You don't know. You know it's entertainment. So, right. Yes, like you, you said, know. they're under pressure that because otherwise, yeah. like I said, you know some of I mean some of the investigations I've been. Which by the sometimes it's not that nothing was there. Sometimes it's just that the timing was off. And that's another right. thing. The supernatural is not an on-demand thing. Uh, no. Nope. Sometimes, no, there isn't anything there or it's really residual. And other times it's just the timing is wrong. You go one day and nothing happens and then you go back a month later and it's like, oh yeah, it's crazy. Uh, let me ask, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. A prime example for that for me was I went to Bobby Mackey's, you know, notoriously demonic, blah, blah, blah. Okay. First time I ever went there, nothing happened. Okay. I was like, okay. So, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I'm going to come back another time and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So probably a year and a half to two years later, I go back to that place, and the activity was just off the hook. I got Class A EVPs, you know, even so much so that Bobby Mackey himself said an EVP I captured was definitely Carl's voice. His maintenance man died. Wow, right, uh, yes. I, I had seen that, that, that the head interview, you know, of course, before he died. And yeah, you could yeah. tell he has kind of a distinctive voice. Yeah. So, and uh, he said, "Yeah, that's definitely Carl." Man, he don't, he's a hot, you know, he's a hardcore skeptic himself. Yeah. It blew him away when we played that EVP back. I got, you know, so, you know, that that's a prime example of that, you know. And I've gone back uh, another time and got some good stuff, but it wasn't as active as the second time I was there. So you mm-hmm. just never know what you're going to get when you do this stuff. Well. About, I want to say, God, time flies, like 2014. Yeah, it was 2014. Sometimes I went out there. I went out. I mean, we, we, we did some other things, and, and unfortunately, wrong timing. It was like like early, like mid-afternoon, so of course, Bobby Mackey's was closed. And yep. I hooked up with Wanda Kay, and you know, Wanda Kay used to do the tours over oh, yeah, Bobby Mackey's. So, yep. 
I talked to her and I mean, we ended up doing another, another tour, some other place, which was great because there was nobody else except us. And yep. I could tell she was very hesitant. She didn't really want to talk too much about Bobby Mackey's. And I asked her, you're not doing this. Nope, I'm not doing. Later on, we started talking. And, you know, I told her, look, I'm a paranormal researcher. I've been doing And she tells me, look, I don't even go there. I do not go there. I consider that place dangerous. She goes, yeah. at one point, I would just, I, you know, in other words, she had tried scaling it back where she would just take groups of people, you know, like a individual. like, And she said, I just, I think it's dangerous. Whatever is there is demonic. I, I don't even go into that building if I can help it. Um, yeah. And, you know, she passed away. Uh, I think it was last year. She, last year, yeah. Uh, and I, I never forgot that conversation I had with her because you could tell by looking. I mean, she had a lot of experience in, you know, even back then she was doing paranormal tours of other locations there in that area. But uh -huh. she told me flat out first she didn't want to talk about it, and then when she finally did she goes ah, I, I just don't go there i i don't like that place it's nope. yeah and I, I you know she was a friend of mine and we became pretty good friends and okay i would talk to her on the phone quite often and um she uh you know she was feeling real down and like her her you know she wasn't feeling good a lot and stuff so she finally went and got tested and found out she had cancer all over yes and husband was also a DJ there at Bobby Mackey's for some time and right after she died he also passed away of cancer are you serious I did not know that within months so was it paranormal we don't know but you know really really weird as a matter of really fact I remember when I went there she had just switched out she was going to a new location uh, she yep. had switched from one office to another one she was right in the middle of that yeah, she had Wanda Case Ghost Shop right down the road. I mean, it was like five, six miles away. From right, Bobby right, Mike. right. And this was right, she was right in the middle of this, and this, mm -hmm. and, I, and you know, we, you know, we talked about it. And later on, when I found out, I was like, wow, you know. I mean, when I met her, I mean, you don't know, but she, she seemed okay at that time that I met her. But and yeah, I did her uh, shop because it was a. She called it the Haunted Gamblers Museum. You know, and it was a it was haunted as crap too. It was really active right down the road, and she, uh, you know, I had gone there twice, and then right after the second time, I hadn't talked to her for quite a while, and then she told me, you know, she found out she had can she cancer and stuff, and she was getting it treated, and she was actually doing really well for a while, and then bam, out of nowhere, she she's gone. Yes, I did not. I I, I I'd followed her progress like on Facebook because you know they would update on you yeah. know, how she was doing and and I saw what you're talking about that she had gotten better and then you know all of a sudden I one of the times I said oh you know what let me check and she had passed away and I did not know that about her husband passing away either but yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said she when I had that conversation with her she was very serious about it like I and like you say was that part of it maybe maybe not maybe it was just one of those things that it was going to happen no matter what but at the same time i understand uh there's still that question mark there as to the influence of something there at that location and you had based you had your own experiences there while you were there and yeah. uh there's a, a, a i was telling i i was you know because i did do a little bit of research into the pro brian story and i say you know what there's a lot of stuff that went on there even prior to that uh, a little bit le uh, there was a big uh they were building a bridge there over the Licking River, and while it was under construction, it collapsed, and a bunch of men got killed. Yep. Really, really close there to 
to Bobby Mackey. So, I mean, people don't realize sometimes it doesn't have to be right on the spot. You could get entities that drift over uh, yeah. depending Ooh. on what's going on. But, yeah, it was pretty – yeah, it's 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 sometimes people don't realize that um, – you could have a cast of characters there, Bobby Mackey's, that nobody suspects, except the fact that they're dark, I guess is my point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you never know what you get. You know, there's off a lot of stories of people just, you know, they took a walk through a graveyard, and next thing you know, they had something at their house going on. You know, oh, yeah. you just never know. Spirits, spirits, in my opinion, can travel pretty much wherever they want to go. Yes. Um not all of them are, are stuck at one location. You know, some of them are free movers, if, if you will. <laughs> so, you no. know, they can follow you home. And, I, you know, I learned that the hard way early on. You know, I had to protect my house and yes. everything away. From me. But yes. that doesn't always work, too. I mean, when you do what I do, you can still carry stragglers along with you. Oh, sure. You know, because they're attracted to your light. They're attracted to your energy. They want that. Oh, yeah. I mean... I remember I, I, I had I had uh, I consider myself always a freelance researcher, investigator. I worked with a team that does all does all the state of Florida. And normally, if they had somebody in South Florida, or if they were short somebody, and I was willing to travel, I would help out. And sometimes we got together with other team, you know, other me- members of other teams, and everybody would crack up sometimes because I would pull around the corner from an investigation. I would stop and I would start smudging my entire car down and open up the trunk and i'm like folks i'm not taking any chances and they'd look at me and marlene what are you doing i'm like just a little insurance make sure nobody wants to tag along (laughs) yep and uh, like you said if especially if, if you know if you're sensitive which i think after a while that you do this type of work you do develop sensitivity and everything as far as whether it's uh as an empath or hearing things or seeing things. Yeah. You you develop that muscle when you do this type of work. Uh, And let me ask you, uh, Dave, this uh, house that you got now, Willow's Wheat, what's, what's going on with that? What, what is the history on that house? Well, the house was, um, I first came to know of Willow's Wheat through a friend of mine uh, as a location to investigate, you know, Uh, they had seen a video, another group had put out on it. And Mm -hmm. this was like, four or five years ago and let me think here it's 2018 so it was about 2012 2013 when i found out about this place so me and this girl who's a friend of mine we went and um investigated it the first time i ever went there got some got some pretty crazy stuff and i became friends with the owner both of us did and um uh i went back another we did it again Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. On the road with T-Mobile, the leader in 5G. Whether you're cruising through Nashville on I-40, heading down I-90 to Boston, or touring Santa Cruz in the 5, you'll be covered by the largest 5G network. T-Mobile covers the most interstate highway miles in America with 5G. 
See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Most reliable according to independent third-party Umlaut from crowdsourced user experience data from January to July 2021. Fastest according to Open Signal Awards based on average speeds in USA. 5G user experience report July 2021. For time with uh, another group from Indiana, which is where my house is at, and it was two uh, two ladies that are friends of mine that investigate up there all the time, and went with them, and then I went back uh, again, and. I had, you know, built kind of a relationship with the owner and my friend that went there with me the first time last summer told me, Hey, uh, Brenda, I talked to Brenda, which was her name. And she said, she is, she wants to sell Willow's weave and she wants one of us to have it. She doesn't want anybody else to have it because it's so dark in nature. She knows that I could handle it or whatever. So I, you know, I called her up, I said, what's going on? And I knew that her husband had been having some problems, some medical problems. And she, I'm not going to go into that. Mm -hmm. It's private. But um, long story short is she felt the house was doing this and her family had been attacked. She came about owning this house out of pure just happenstance. You know, she um, was looking for a home for her son. Okay. And she doesn't remember how she came. She's from Illinois. She's from Illinois, which is like 20 miles away on the border, right? Okay. She doesn't remember how she came to this little bitty town known as Cayuga, Indiana. She ended up in this town, found, came straight to this house and found this house was for sale. So they contacted the owner. The owner met him out there and he went to let him in the door and then they went in and he wouldn't go in. Oh. And they're like, aren't, aren't you going to come in? And he's like, uh, no. Well, he said, you all go ahead and look around and let me know what you think. You know, so they went in there, looked around. There was a pipe laying up against the wall and it flew about 10 or 15 feet across the room and smashed her son right in the head, hurting him pretty good. Like, I think it cut his head open and everything. Wow. So they came out of there, like, you know, they chalked it up as just a freak accident, but she knew, you know, later on she knew it wasn't a freak accident. And come to find out, the the owner that was out outside was the son of the last man who had lived in that house. And come to find out that the last man that lived in the house had shot himself in the head and the chair was still in the house with his blood all over it that he oh died in. And he just and forgot to mention that little bit, I'm sure. Oh yeah, my. He, he went ahead and told him, you know, listen, you know, I don't go in there because my dad killed himself. His dad, the stuff, his dad's stuff still in the house, the chair with the blood on it, oh his personal his shoes, his hat, his fish, some of his fishing poles are on the wall. Um, and that's just the tip of the iceberg at this place. There's been at least two suicides in the house um possibly three um numerous other deaths in this house strange happenings um the house is built in it was built in the 1800s like i said mm-hmm. built built in the shape of the cross okay um it's got windows in the corners of the of the all the corners of the house of the cross okay um it's uh when Brenda went ahead and bought the house because it was such a good price, she went ahead and bought it for her son anyway. They 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 had a a laminate floor over top of the original floor, you know, put a new floor in. Well, it was all hooved up from moisture, so they had to tear that out. Upon tearing that floor out in the corner, they found a book that dealt with necromancy, communicating with spirits, and all kinds of other stuff. Oh, wonderful! Um, but with all this, all these things started happening, you know, um, her uh, her. Her son was attacked in the house, choked, lifted up off the floor. Um, they never moved into the house because of the thing. 
when they were refurbishing it, trying to fix it up to be livable, those things type of things were happening. And there's a whole bunch of different stuff that happened. Well, she started doing research on the house, talking to the neighbors and everything. Um, found out about the other deaths. There's at least seven, eight, probably nine deaths in this house. Okay. Um, the guy who originally built the house was a, either a postman or a postmaster who was into some weird stuff because he built the house in the shape of a cross face in the East just, you know, right off the get go. Right. And it, it originally had six entrances and exits to exit to the house. Well, really? over the years, yeah, over the years they changed it and put windows in some of those exits and entrances and now there's only two entrances and exits but um there was a false ceiling in it there was in the original floor plans there's supposed to be a stairwell up to the attic there is no stairs in the house it had a false ceiling that was about four feet high in it and in the middle if you picture a cross in your head the middle of the cross you know where the arms come off uh-huh. is the main room of the house and on the ceiling above that middle room there's these weird points that are built out coming out that almost looked like a pentagram as well wow. and it's a, um so the each arm of the cross is a separate room and then there's the center room and then the long part of the cross is another room where his chair is where he shot you know where he died in mm-hmm. that's where the and brenda ended up meeting the neighbor who was a friend of this guy whose name was curtis who shot himself she ended up meeting the neighbor who knew curtis and his his wife and told her all the stories and then they ended up getting married of all things and Brenda moving in next door to the house even and she owned the property in the house anyway so so all these things she was finding out during research over the years and there's a whole bunch more I mean we could spend two three hour show talking about just the house um she hired a a local guy to be a maintenance guy to help her fix this house up he went under the house to check the pipe he was in a, under the crawl space, and it's only like three feet high, so it's pretty small. You know, you got to crawl on your hands and knees to get through there. So he's, he's noticed these mounds of dirt under the house, and he had to get the pipes to look at them, so he pushed one of the mounds of dirt aside, and, a, and an arm bone came out, a bone came out of the, the uh, dirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> just as he's looking at this bone, trying to figure out if it's a human bone or an animal bone, Something attacked him under the house uh, in a sexual manner, and oh, he crawled out. He crawled out of there as fast as he could, handed the bone to Brenda, and said, "I'm out of here." So oh. she took the bone to the local doctor, and he said, "It's a it was a child's arm bone, and it's very old." So, not only that, he told her when I was under there, I also saw a pit that's dug in the center where the center room is of the house of the cross. Directly under that, there's a pit dug with granite rocks around it. And there was ashes in the pit. Oh, so, like some kind of ceremonial something. You know, under they, the house. they they prepared that land before they built that house on there. Or yeah, yeah, really weird with all that. Now we don't know if there's a graveyard under the house or not, uh, because that that whole area was Native American land as well. All maybe, around that area, there's Native American uh, burial mounds. There's two rivers that come into the town together. Um, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, there's a, actually a whole separate story about the willow tree in the front yard. Um, the same maintenance guy, this guy's been through the, the mill with, with the house. Let me I tell can you. imagine. He must have been that, that house. Yeah, he was mowing the grass for her, and then he decided he was going to trim the willow tree. And because the, the leaves are, you know, the limbs are hanging all the way to the ground. Right. So after, 
he trimmed a few branches off to where he could mow. He got back on the mower and something threw him through the air and he landed on like hit his back next to the, on the, on the edge of the front cement porch and actually cracked, fractured his back. Um, Another instance, him and Brenda were painting the upper level of the house, the outside, and they had pulled the truck up and then put the ladder in the truck so they could reach the top. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's up there painting and she's down there at the bottom holding the ladder for him. And he starts, he's saying, I can hear a woman's voice in there talking, screaming at me. It's telling me to get the F out of here, blah, blah, blah. And he said, then the ladder started shaking and he was pushed with the ladder backwards and went 20 some feet to the ground. And he just laid there with the breath knocked out of him. And he, and she, Brenda's like, are you okay? Are you okay? He said, yeah, I'm okay. I got to get my breath back. And she goes, well, I'm, I'll paint it, damn it. And she, they put the ladder back in the truck. She got up there, started painting, and then the ladder started shaking violently again, and then she decided to get down. So all there's so many things that happened, and um, some friends of hers came by when they were working on the house, and she was, he was, she said, don't touch the willow tree. You know, it's got bad juju or something. Uh-huh. And they're like, I don't believe in that crap, you know, and he ripped a branch off of the tree and threw it in the dashboard of the car. And there's three guys in the car, two brothers and their friend. They take off down the road. They start fighting uncontrollably in the car for some unknown reason. Okay. And the car goes flipping down the road and smashes into a tree in a graveyard. Are you- and they're all three life flighted out of there. And they're all broken up to this day from it. Um, now, Curtis, <laughs> the last man that killed himself in the house right see he his his wife before that either od'd in the house or she accidentally od'd but they and on the death certificate she said she was dead in the hospital but the neighbor that brenda married said no she was dead in the house i saw her body i saw them take her out yeah sometimes they'll do that yeah and they didn't pronounce her dead right they don't pronounce her dead until somebody can certify yeah that they pronounce them so yeah Years after that, Curtis was dating this other girl, younger girl, who was helping him and doing stuff and whatnot. And he, they became, they started dating and whatnot. Well, they broke up and she had left. Well, after Curtis died, she came to the house and was talking to Brenda. And, you know, because she was, she just happened to want to go back there. And she asked Brenda, can I take a piece of the willow tree home with me? And she said, no. <laughs> she said, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. Don't do it. But if you want to, go ahead. But I don't recommend it. She goes, well, I just want to take it for a momento. And she goes, well, I don't, you know, I wouldn't do that, but you're free to do what you want. So this woman takes, and she was young. She was only in her mid-30s. She takes a piece of the willow tree. A few months later, Brenda finds out she died of unknown, mysterious circumstances. Let me tell you something. I wouldn't touch that willow tree for nothing in the world. Absolutely. Every time I'm around it, I, you know, I I think it's something to do with Native Americans because the willow tree is sacred to Native Americans and, I always offer tobacco and all that to it. Very respectful. I would never cut it. I'm not going to cut it. Nothing. You know, it's, there's something to it. Plus there's a whole nother story of this house. Um, this, this guy back in, um, the late 18, early 1900s, I think, I think the original builder's son had moved into the house and he married this woman who already had some kids and they ended up having like 23 kids together. Right. Holy well, crap. no TV short. Huh? Yeah, long story short, they found out he was molesting his stepdaughter, and they actually had a baby together. Who, him and the stepdaughter? Yes. So 
eat and there was rumors of abuse and all this stuff and um uh, back in those days it wasn't as frowned upon as it is today but what they did they took him to court and they find they found him guilty i've got all the paperwork and they fined him 700 dollars, which was a ton of money back in those yeah, days yeah it was you know, all they did was find this guy right so yeah Going back to this guy, uh, one evening he went out to feed the hogs. This was a big farm at one time. Okay. He went out and he didn't come back. So they went looking for him. They found him laying in the hog pen and he was being eaten alive by his own hogs. Oh, my God. The hogs had eaten his ear off, part of his foot and his entrails were hanging out. He was still alive. So they drug him back into the house trying to, you know, help him and stuff. So his blood's all in the house. And he ends up passing away in the house. To me, that's really bad. Let me tell you something. I swear to God, I know, I know that. But talk about karma. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's some serious karma, you know, like yeah. the devil. So, and then there was another couple, the older couple that lived in the house. The wife died in the house. The man became a recluse. He actually stayed in the lived in the bathroom. And if you've seen the bathroom in the house, it's no bigger than your car. Let me tell you. He lived and slept in there and slept in the bathtub. They found him dead one day in the bathtub. So you've got a ton of different deaths in there. Oh, There's yeah. Pictures, pictures of the old woman snapped in the front window and up by another group who was, they got wigged out and they went hauling butt out of there. And the last guy in line out the door heard something behind him, turned around, took a quick snapshot. And it's the fitting image of the old woman's obituary that died in the house. I mean, it looks just like her. And, um, so you got, I mean, it's just, it's one of those locations that's got a ton of stuff going on. Yeah, layers. Yeah, and the whole history has never been put out on it. I'm currently working on that, getting it all in line as much as possible. I got a ton of factual information that's going to be put out on it. And basically, right now, I'm not even letting any groups in there other than close friends because I feel it is a dangerous location, and mm-hmm. right. I want the history put out and and then i'll decide what i'm gonna do it's probably gonna be my own paranormal laboratory at this point but um i've let a few groups in here and there but right now it's closed for investigations but you know it's it's a very unique place i have a friend that's from indiana who also runs the guy opera house uh his group runs the paranormal investigations there and he works in the insurance industry and he's literally been in thousands tens of thousands of buildings and structures mm-hmm. and i had I had him come out to the house, and he said he's never seen a, a house like this built anywhere. The structure, ever. you mean? Right, the structure. He said, it's, and he's been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. So, you know, there's definitely something unique about this place, the way it's, the shape it's built in, who knows what all went on there. I think there was some witchcraft done in there at some point and other things. Um, so who knows, man? And, you know, um, you got the American let, connection. Let me tell you something. If if what you were saying is if the original builder, which probably specifically chose that pe- that location for, in other words, it wasn't random, right? Chose it, you know. If anybody, you know, that's that that is working with necromancy, which is of course working with the dead for whatever, they if they have the opportunity, they start f- with the structure because the structure is part of how they invoke. Uh, whatever it is that they're going to do. In other words, it can, they can amplify it. So they're big into building outward, inwards, you know, starting with that structure. So, yeah, what you're describing is that unusual way it was built. <clears throat> yeah, there was, it wasn't because the guy was crazy in that way. It was because he did it on purpose for a reason. Yeah, 
absolutely. And I, I feel that it is built to funnel energy in and out, you know, mm-hmm. the way the windows are on the corners of the house. And then there's numerous videos I have from Brenda who put up security cameras in there. And there, she put those big plastic kids play balls, you know, in the house. Right. And she would, re, you know, she showed, I've got all the video. Everything is mine that she had, you know, it's all given to me. And these balls would be sitting in different chairs on the coffee table. And then so many different times they would roll off by themselves, roll around like someone was playing with them. And they would all seem to center right over that pit that was dug under the house, right in the center right room. The center. And it's almost like it's an open portal, you know, yes. like it's stuck. And there's been numerous people scratched, attacked in the house, shadow figures seen, um, just a whole plethora of things that have yeah. happened there by numerous, numerous people. And, um, you know, a little girl is often seen. Brenda said that for months at a time, you know, she, no one would go in the house and they would see the curtains move like somebody was in the house looking out at them, you know, and she knew there was nobody in there. It was locked up tight, you know, nobody in there. Right. And because um, they would often have picnics because they live right next door and they have a, you know, it has a huge out, uh, um, like a barn type structure in the mm-hmm. back. With, or, and they would have the family over having picnics and they would see the windows, the curtains move. Yeah, that you know, twitching like, thing and you're thinking somebody's peeking yeah. out. Yeah. There's no power in the house. There's no AC going on. Nothing that could mm-hmm. do that. You know? So, and you the- know, it's just a different stuff. Dave, has anything bled over to them, to their property? Because I know sometimes... Well, I'll tell you, after all that happened to her husband, he had, I mean, he had a stroke and a heart attack both times he had worked on the house. So they, they said, that's it, we're done. And they moved 20 miles across, back across the Illinois border. I mean, and, <laughs> I don't you know, and, and how about said, that repairman? Does that handyman still work on that property? Because I don't know. Actually, yeah, he, yeah, he works for me, but he will not go in the house. He mows the lawn for me and whatnot. Oh, but, really? Uh, he told me a lot of stuff. You know, he's told me a lot of stuff. And, um, he, um, he's a really nice guy and, you know, but he, he will not go back under the house or in the house at all. Blame him. That is, yeah. It's like that thing about, yeah, I'll mow the lawn, but that's as, this is as far as it goes. And definitely I'm not going to help you paint or go under the house. You know, there's all kinds of other rumors that go along with this house about this one woman. And I haven't, I've been able to confirm none of this because Brenda told me the neighbor lady who has now deceased when well, she was a, a much older lady, but she was there when this supposedly happened, told her that uh, an, a woman had moved in with her older son and she had a young daughter and she did, you know, and the rumor was that she had been married two or three different times. And all these men came to weird death, you know, uh, uh, mysterious death, just all three of her husbands. Well, all of a sudden one day, this little girl of hers disappeared and no one ever saw her again heard anything knew anything and then several years later her son actually hung himself in the house too to me that i think the mom actually probably killed the little girl and that could be her arm bone under the house her body may still be under my yeah i was gonna say that's that's possible absolutely that's possible and you know what the son may have knew and hung himself over the guilt of it sure and it's a very uh, negative location. And also, she could have done away with her husband's. I mean, and you know, let's face it. A, a lot of times, especially if it was a few years back, people had a really hard time thinking that women could commit murders like that, like very oh, yeah. cold-bloodedly, as in a psychopath. And it's like, yeah, a lot of well, 
disappointing case, oh, Lizzie Borden. I mean, it's from there. It's like, oh yeah. All she had to do was say, "Well, he ran off with some other sure. woman or something." I yes. just believe him. You know, back in those days, they didn't care. This was like in the forties or fifties. Yeah. When this this whole event, these events, but this this all the the last person that died in the house, Curtis. This was two thousand twelve, so it wasn't that long ago. Uh, Brenda had this, and all these things happened. I think where was it? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Yeah. So, um, something around that time. I, I can't remember off the top of my head because there's so many things that have happened that this happened. Um, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it all right now. So, right, and and I, I know that some things some things are documented, and then others is like what you're describing. It's like you're hoping a neighbor or a friend of a neighbor, you know, somebody there can be. Ret- it's like oral. In other words, you're never going to find it documented. Right. It's, it's like nope. just talking to the person, some somebody that hopefully hasn't died by the time you get to them, that will yeah, tell you. That woman was renting the place anyway. You know, she. I don't think she owned it. I think she was most likely renting it. And, you know, who knows what all went down, you know. Sure. But, uh, you know, just with all that alone, it's phenomenal, all the things that have happened, all the deaths in the house. Um, I've got paperwork on most of it, probably 90% of uh, what Brennan told me that she gave me and, not to mention all the other paranormal folks that have been in this house and have been attacked and seen things. And she also told me that she had several married uh, couples that were investigators go in the house and every single, and they stayed the night in the house. And every single one of those couples is now divorced. Wow. So, you know, weird coincidence there, you know, yeah, what so, happened uh, once you open it up, you need to put and 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 I'm and I'm tempted to say put a sign next to the willow tree. Don't touch the willow tree. But then you know sometimes that has the opposite effect where then everybody wants to touch it or take something from it. And people people like to tempt fate like that, and yes. uh, you know it uh, it can backfire on you in a hurry. Sure. No, it sounds like a super interesting case, but I'm glad to see that you're one of these people that is cautious about stuff like this because you've experienced it firsthand. That yeah. Yeah. Yep. In other words, whatever is there, it sounds like it's intelligent and malevolent and doesn't like the handyman. I'm only kidding. But, you know, in other words, yeah. that um, and that thing about, let me tell you something, he's a brave guy. <laughs> if I crawled <laughs> under a house and I find a bone, I, that's like, forget, that's it. I'm never going back there again, ever. Yeah, there's a, stuff, like, there's a lot of stuff I still have to do. I've only had it since last summer, so. You know, um, I'm trying to put the get the timelines together with all the deaths in the house yes. and get the factual paperwork on all that stuff, um, which I've got a lot of it already. But and then I'm gonna, you know, put together a documentary about the place and yes. all that, and searching and investigating it. And um, you know, that's all you can do with this, you know, because probably never gonna find out, you know, the original guy that sure. built the house and yeah. why he. And like that, you know, but there is rumors, you know, but it is what it is. Right. Let's face it. Nobody, especially back then, okay, is going to say, by the way, uh, I'm specifically building this house because I'm going to be calling up the dead and for whatever, whatever. He even probably people thought, oh, the house, it's it's this it's like a cross. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody announces that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, over the years, too, like, you know, there was like a, on the backside, there was like a overhang put up for the cement porch, you know, and then the, uh, in the front, they put another little porch on, so 
just by looking at it from standing in front of it, you can't tell. But when you look from above down, you can definitely see the cross shape. I mean, it's clear right. as a bell. And they just added a few, uh, two little porches on it, which kind of uh, takes the shape away a little bit. But you can, I mean, I got the original floor plans, and there's no mistaking it. That, I yeah. mean, it's definitely, you know, in the shape of a cross. Um, and it's really weird, too. There's no entrance to the attic. The only way you can get to the attic is through the outside upper window. Really? And that's strange. Yeah, it's really strange. So, you know, that is. why would you build a house like that with no way to get up to it, you know? It's almost like usually when people do things like that, it's because they're either hiding something up there like they, they don't want anybody to actually have access to it unless they know that they have to gain access. But that is really weird. That's very yeah. weird. And a lot of people don't realize that also when you are doing some, you know, some of these ritualistic and dark magic stuff, it's not only in the ground. You do put things overhead as well. Like yeah, like what you're describing well, in the rafters or over the the, yeah. the, the, the living space, in other words. Mm -hmm. You know, it everybody always thinks it's just the buried stuff. Yeah, and it was a false feeling in there. Was that yeah. to save on it? I don't know, but it's yeah. really because Brenda, you know, they were looking for the uh, staircase to go up to the upper, to the attic area. Right. It's and like... so they discovered the false ceiling in the place. And then when they took that out, they noticed those weird points coming out of the real ceiling that seemed to focus all the energy to the center room. You know, really yeah. weird stuff. I've got a lot of videos on my YouTube channel of it. You can check it out there. Sure. Um, real Supernatural. Um, you know, I've got a ton of, of investigation videos on there. And, um, you know, yeah. a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. We have a big convention coming up in Wheeling, West Virginia on June 16th, Society of the Supernatural. Okay. Um, putting on the first um, West Virginia Supernatural convention there up at okay. the casino. So we got John Zaffis coming, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, mm -hmm. David Webb, Allison, myself, Sean Austin. Um, That's a great lineup. Stan Gordon um, and a guy named Steve Hummel that runs a little museum up in Moundsville. So got a lot of stuff going on, you know, um, it's going to be a great conference. A lot of ton of vendors, ton, ton of haunted location owners going to be there. Okay. We've got the folks coming. We've got Guyer Opera House coming, Cusiosco County Jail from Indiana coming. We've got the 360 cabin uh, down in Virginia folks coming up. Going to be a lot of, lot of, lot of good folks there. And yeah, let me tell you something. You, you, you hear, I mean, I was at Scarefest last October, and people don't realize, despite you, you hear the best, most interesting stories when you go to, like you said, a bunch of people that are in to the paranormal is when you really oh, yeah. hear some great, fantastic experiences and stories. Yeah, and we, we also have Kristen Lee, who's a member of our group, Society of the Supernatural, as well. She owns the Blair House, and mm -hmm. Friday night. We're doing a VIP event, meet and greet, and investigating the warehouse. So there's only a few tickets left of that, folks, if you want to get one. Yes. You know, yes, and I know that, that that's like really, um, yeah, and it's, it's I, I, you know, a lot of times people, when Halloween comes around, you know, they pay money to go to these, you know, haunted houses, but this is the real stuff. This is the real stuff, like what's happening, you know, with the Bel Air house and things like that, you know, as far oh, yeah. as... If you want tickets to have, are... I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. Tickets are only ten bucks for the convention too. That's, That's great. That is fantastic. You know? That's very doable. 
It's very doable. And by the way, I've oh, been yeah. to Moundsville. When you said that thing about Moundsville, I've been to Moundsville. That's a special place there. Oh, yeah. It's right up the road where we're having a convention. Oh, like, really? Just miles from there. Okay. Maybe eight miles. Yeah. Okay. I've been. Yeah. Anyway, Dave, thank you. So, I, I, you know, I know we were coming up on, we just went through that, the, the whole interview, and it's been great. And, and I was even going to ask you about your books, but I'm hoping that you're going to come back and we can talk about that last book you re- released about the Flatwoods Monster and... I would love to talk to you about that and I'm hoping you're going to come back and maybe after you do this convention. So, you know, you could tell, and I'm, I'm fascinated by Willow's weep. It's scary, but I'm fascinated. (laughs) I'm truly fascinated because you're taking the trouble to do the research because I'm a big believer in research. It's like, I'd rather know the truth versus the made up, you know, sometimes you get these uh, places get reputations. And then when you, do a little bit of investigating, you find out three quarters of it is made up. Uh, yeah. I'd rather have the real stuff. And I've, I've done research in some places that what you find out is actually more disturbing than the made up stuff is like, why are you, go- this, this stuff here is a lot more uh, scarier if you want to, as far as dark than okay. the stories, the urban myths that are circulated about it. So yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated when, you know, with the research that you've done on that place. And uh, absolutely, yeah, I could see where. There's a lot coming out on that. Um, I'm going to do a book on the place and, um, you know, just to get the history out right and all the factual stuff that's going on there, you know, and then uh, a lot of different encounters from different paranormal investigators, you know, what they've experienced in the house, as well as myself and and others. And Brenda, you know, um, she's going to be in the book. I've interviewed her extensively and her family members. You know, because it's all part of the story of that house. Right. And I'm now the owner of it. So, um, you know. But you're the right person for it because you sound like, you know, you know, the, you know, you're respected. And as far, when I say respect, I mean, as far as when you're told this, these stories, you know, that it's not somebody just saying wild tales when they describe this stuff. Absolutely. You know, I mean. Somebody in their right mind would not make up these type of things because, you know, they, you know, there's, they would have their reputation to lose or sure. to be made fun of. You know, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's some of the things we look for, you know, when you, especially when you have uh, credible people, you know, like law enforcement officers, military mm-hmm. uh, officers, all kinds of different folks yes. about the experiences they've had. You know, right. you got to really step back and say, hey, these guys have something to lose. These gentlemen and ladies have something to lose by going oh. out on the limb and saying, hey, I've... this one time this happened to me. You know, I saw this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't explain it. You know? And a lot of them, as a matter of fact, they, they kind of fess up. They say it, like like you said, after they retire or they're not working in that anymore, yeah. where they can they feel safe. This is not going to hurt my career uh, unofficially, because sometimes that's the way it works. And they, they come out and they'll talk about, the experiences or things that they've had. So when they do it, even when they're still involved, like you said, in law enforcement or in some type of, you know, what they call trained observer, that means that it was like, they're impressed by it. They need to talk about it. It's like, I can't wait 20 years till I retire to describe what I saw or what, what happened absolutely. to me. Yeah, absolutely. So again, Dave, thank you so much. You have been absolutely wonderful. And I loved, I love talking to you. Paranormal researcher after my own heart 
You've got a lot of years <laughs> and you know when you come up. And like I tell everybody, despite what everybody thinks, paranormal researchers have a very high bar as far as skepticism when it comes to paranormal events. We don't buy into it from the get-go because we know what the real thing is. Because <laughs> we've, yeah, we've experienced it. We've experienced it. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed every minute. Anytime you want me on, you just let me know. Absolutely. Take care, Dave. Good luck to you. Okay. You too. Good night. Good night. Oh, God. That Willow's Week place. What? Oh, my. See, that's. It's almost the paranormal researcher. He's going, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And then my. My. uh, When when you, when you think you're going to fit that in? As you know, guys, I live in a farmhouse. I live in a 100-year-old farmhouse, and I've gone from, you know, backyard chickens. I'm incubating chicks, and plus the traveling. Remember, I live all the way on the south end of Florida. Just to get out of Florida, it's almost like, what, six hours? And But, yeah, plus we would take care of all my animals, But which every once in a while, of course, I I, 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 I tell my kids remember all the stuff i used to do for you i need i need for you to come and take care of my kids in other words i lay a guilt trip on them but again like i told them that's you know uh that convention uh, conventions are great to network you meet a lot of interesting people and i'm not i'm not kidding you this is where you hear stories and experiences that people have had that Sometimes it's like when you're in person with a group of people or a couple of people, you confide, you start talking about things like, hey, you know what? I've never talked about this, but uh, blah, 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 blah. This happened to me, you know, uh, and I'm telling you this, the, the setting as far as, uh, you know, and by the way, that that rate of $10 is super, super. Let me tell you something. That's that's very affordable. Uh, I, that There's some conventions that I've been to that. They're great. They're interesting, but you got to pay for it at the door. Uh, so that you know, they're they're probably going to get a lot of traffic there just because it's so reasonable. But I'm telling you, Dave. You know, as you know, he's he absolutely has a lot of years of experience, and um, and uh, and I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. That is one of the things you could tell for somebody that's been doing this for quite a while. <clears throat> because a lot of people that are nouveau, what I mean by that is that they've been into it maybe two, three, four, five years. As a matter of fact, kind of dovetails the time where reality TV has taken off. And they're thinking, you know, either confrontation or provocation, or I'm going to go in there and I'm going to have the. And it's like, there's absolutely nothing wrong from stepping back from an investigation or a location, either temporarily or forever, okay? And there are some places that got turbulent, spiritual turbulence going on in their walls, whether it's because there was a lot of dysfunction and it's layers and layers and it's residual or whether it's intelligent, but it can be addressed. It can be handled. It can be taken care of, by the way, um, in a series of things. And uh, because I've, I've worked with families on this, it's this idea sometimes that people get that you're going to go around your house and sprinkle holy water and salt and then poof, it's gone. No, it doesn't work that way, folks. Yes, you do have to have something 
you know, monumental. Well, not monumental, but something like a big giant to get it out. But to maintain it, you've, you've got to work at it, you know, on a day-to-day basis, weekly basis. And you'll see where gradually everything just, that blackness or that darkness starts to fade out and get thinner. And in other words, but my point being that there's places that, that, that can be handled, that can be handled, but there's other places that cannot. <laughs> I've been there and I've known of some of them. And you know what? You've heard me on other shows say that sometimes I've heard certain psychics tell people, if I were you, I would move. And I know that sometimes that's not really viable for a lot of reasons, for a lot of families. But I recognize that there are locations where it's not practical to do it. And by this, I mean the fault that, yeah, eventually you could wear it down and cast out, exercise, whatever's there, whatever you want to call it. But what it would do to you as a human being in that process, because like I said, it's not going to be like a clap of thunder and that's it. Whatever was here is gone. It's not. That battle for you to win that war would decimate you so much so spiritually, emotionally, physically, and sometimes even your life that it's not worth it. That that it's like, okay, you know what? This place is dark. And your best option, if you're going to give somebody advice about it, would be to leave it. Let go as a matter of fact. And don't, don't move close by either. Put a few miles between yourself and that location. I would say that that's the lesser, but yeah, that does happen. And that willow's weep, I'm telling you, if I went to look at a house and a pipe comes across the room and hits my kid on the head, I'd be like, and the owner doesn't want to step inside. It's like, okay, this is, this is somebody telling me not this house. But again, you know what? A lot of people, uh, and, I, and I've spoken about this, you know, a lot of times because people don't want to appear like they're imaginative they don't go with that prickly feeling they get along their back or what their gut tells them or even not even their gut like they're you know they don't see the signs here you know i've got an owner who refuses to come in the house oh because my dad you know the flying pipe thing will do it for me Uh, but anyway people sometimes they get a lot more subtle hints as far as let's say they go to a location and they they don't they want they don't want to get the the Oh, my imagination is running away with me. And they overlook it, they dismiss it, and they go forward and either purchase or rent locations where it's like sometimes you need to go with a feeling. You need you need to go with it and just like get out of there like right away. But let's face it, what he described, that research that they did as far as the, the, the sales and the, the renters and the history it has on it, a lot of times people don't find out about that till way after the fact as in that they're there either they sunk money into it because if they rented it they gave a deposit first last and you know whatever i mean a chunk of money or if they bought it even more bigger investment and then you just find out this really dark history on the place and it's like oh crap now what so yeah it is what it is in other words pay attention to your prickly feelings and before you ever move in a place and i don't care how beautiful how wonderful how clean how well painted how well kept how well maintained it looks how beautiful the curb appeal is 
I would not step foot in a house, much less move my family, my belongings, and myself in there until I thoroughly cleansed it with prayers, smudging, salting, and I'm not only talking the house, I'm talking also the property itself. At least that's me. Like I said, I would leave an investigation and smudge my car, even opening up the trunk. Better safe than sorry when it comes to this. So again, guys, I hope you like the show. I loved it. I love speaking to Dave. Uh, if you're in that neck of the woods or if you can travel, definitely. Uh, it sounds like great to go out to this convention that they're going to have out there in West Virginia. Uh, also, you can uh, I, I do have his website on the credits of the show. From there, you can link to see what's going on with him as far as also uh, to any videos he has out. Also, his books, anything he's got coming up. He sounds like he's a busy guy. And again, guys, um, if you're one of my true believers, do not forget about me. Go to MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to the Submit Your Story tab. I've been getting some great stories and I'm putting them together. And that's just a little bit time consuming. And again, if you're willing, people are so shy. They write, they, they send me these stories. They write out. It's like, you know what? If you want to, we could Skype and you could tell me about it. Uh, it doesn't have to be written out. Whatever. Don't forget about me. I want to hear about your unusual experiences, whatever they might be. And uh, thank you again for being part of my audience and sharing this time with me. Take care. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by root metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined not specific to 5G networks